and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the woman said to him, I will make, so sorry, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruits from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and for his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Good morning, everybody. It's been said that culture is um, what you do without talking about it. The culture of our church, we're the break time culture. You know, like after worship, before the message, where you get to like hang out, it's like the passing period at school. Um, that's us. I actually had a friend visit a couple of weeks ago um, from, he's a pastor of another church. We like to visit each other's churches here in town because a bunch of us are our buddies. And um, he said, your people love church and love each other and it's evident. So I'm always cool with having to rally everybody back in to open the Bible together. It's a good thing. Um, so good morning. It's good to be with you all today. Um, as we open up God's word today and we read some pretty heavy verses, I'd like to pray and uh, ask God's blessing and clarity on what's being talked about because we know that God created all things to be good for us to flourish. So when we read these things, we're kind of like, so what does that mean? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this church family and all that you're doing. It's so cool to um, look and see people opening up their homes, opening up their, just who they are to serve you and to serve other people. Um, it's really cool to be part of a church like that. And so, Lord, we know that you are doing, you are speaking to us, you are giving us direction um, in our lives and as a church family. So we ask that you would be with us, you would speak to us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Scoot over 
The title of this morning's message is The Effects of the Fall. The Effects of the Fall. Last week we talked about what was called the old switcheroo. It's where the, the devil met Adam and Eve in perfect, in what is known as Eden. This garden, this culmination of God's creative process to where he brought um, out of chaos, he brought beauty and order and then, and then capped off creation with man and woman creating humankind that, that God has his representatives in the garden to take care and to, when we read uh, words like to rule over it and subdue it, um, those weren't twisted. Those weren't self-seeking. Those were in perfect harmony with what God wanted. To rule and subdue was not opposite from obedience to God. They, they were together. It worked together. It's not until we get to what we're talking about today when we have to be like that there can be a, a bad type of ruling, that there can be a good headship in a home and a bad headship in a home. Those things can happen because of last week where the serpent, the devil himself, tricked Eve into thinking, and Adam as well, but through the woman, tricked them in thinking that their way was better than God's way. And in turn, we see the devastation that they actually were trading life for death. But in their own mind, it was trading the, the, the devil comes in and, and he gets you to think and I to think and Adam and Eve to think that God is holding out on us. So he questions God's goodness, questions God's word, and questions God's motives. It's how he always works. It's uh, three plays, but they're effective. Is God good? Does God's word really say? And don't you know that God is holding out on you? So that's what he does. They eat the fruit. They take the bait. Their eyes are opened because they would be like God. But here's what they saw. They saw their shame, their nakedness. And so they hid themselves. So we pick up this account this morning in verse 14. So God is going to come in. He says, where are you guys? So there's the question that God speaks to us. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Who, what, what lies have you been listening to? And then he's going to pronounce a judgment. And so first he's going, to, he's, going to have, he's going to say three things. He's going to talk. That's what we're going to look at today. He's going to talk to the serpent. He's going to talk to the woman. He's going to talk to the man. And then when I close this out, he's, we're going to let the Lord talk to us. So to the serpent, he says, verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put en enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So here God speaks three things to the serpent. If you're a note taker, oh, life groups are starting this week. Anybody excited about it? Good. So start taking these notes so you sound smart when you get to life group. And you can say stuff like, the Lord really spoke to me on Sunday when he said all these points that are going to start with the letter C. Um, 
Here's what God spoke to the serpent. Or excuse me, three things that were spoken of. There's a curse, there's a conflict, and there's a crushing. This is for the serpent. The first thing is this. There's a curse. You see, the serpent wanted to be raised above all angelic beings. Now, when you read the account in Genesis, you're like, well, when did God create the angels? When did Lucifer become Satan? When did this... When did the good angel become bad and try to get people to follow him to rule themselves? Like, we're not told, when did that happen? Well, we're not given a timeline. That's why we know that what Genesis was written for primarily is not to tell us how God fashioned the world, how long it took, but that he did and that it's for a purpose. But we read this in the book of Isaiah in verse 14, or excuse me, chapter 14, in verses 12 through 15. This is why the Bible works together as a whole and why the Old Testament is so important, and Psalms are so important, and the New Testament is so important, and we read it all together because it all speaks of, well, the overarching story of God's redemptive plan. This is what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. See, Satan uses that which he first did himself, raised himself up that says, I will rule. The glory that is due unto God, I want for myself. He raised himself up. And what does the scripture say about those who raise themselves up? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so there is no one that has ever been more proud that has raised himself up. So God speaks a curse. You did this. Here's the curse that comes to you. He says, um, Cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. This is where we teach our kids. And then, I don't know if we do we, uh, at the church, but this is what some would be like. So did the snake have legs? Is it more like a centipede? And then God was like, you don't even deserve legs anymore. You're going to be a snake now. Um, or is this a figure of speech? Makes sense that it's a figure that the, the slyness of the serpent uh, comes in, but this is what this means. This is on your belly. You could put it like this. You will always be on your belly, and you will, as Dave Parker, uh, so many of us know and love, you will eat dirt the rest of the days of your life. This is the utmost expression of shame. The curse is, a, is one that you will live in shame before the Lord. So, for those of us cartoon watchers, I remember watching Looney Tunes as a kid. And when someone has faced a decision, I don't know if you watch Looney Tunes anymore, but you used to be able to. And when, when someone was faced with a decision, an angel would pop up on this shoulder. Actually, no, the devil always popped up first. Do it. Take it. Eat it. You know you want it. Then the angel pops up. You know, there was this back and forth thing. The devil is not equal with God. We're told from right here, even though Adam and Eve believed him, were tempted, sought their own kingdom above God's, their nakedness, their sin was exposed. God still comes in and covers. First thing he does, he says, you are cursed. 
you are the lowest. So the devil is powerful. He has sway, but he does not rule over you if you do not want him to. He is in subjugation to God's rule, to God's authority, to God's plan. There's a curse. There's a curse given. The second, there's a conflict assured. He says there will be enmity between her and the serpent, between their offspring. There's a twofold meaning here. One, we see very much a reality. It's crazy this is where we're at in the scriptures and then what's going on in the world. I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about it. There's like 50 million YouTube videos out. But what's happening in, in Israel right now is a result of Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. We're just seeing it still go on. Where he says, so the, here's the twofold meaning. There will be enmity between, did you notice this word seed? Remember a couple weeks ago where I said, we're going to trace something throughout all the rest of scripture now, and it's going to be the seed. We're going to tr trace the seed. And this is where we get the hint of it. Some would say this is the first hint of the gospel message. The first fold meaning is between her seed and his. That her seed is going to produce a people. This people God is going to call unto himself to produce. So if you look, there's double meaning. Seed, plural, and then seed, singular. So through this woman, there's going to be seed, offspring, multiple offspring. God is going to call this people to himself. He's going to choose this people to bring forth his seed, singular, who would crush the serpent's head. He says, because of this, because, you, because of this thing and the devil's curse, there's going to be conflict between her seed and his until the end. So if you don't know anything about what's happening in Israel, just know that it's been happening for a long time. When you read and you can't make sense of it, because at the end of the day, now at the end of the day, but between, after the, the things that we do as broken people back and forth to one another, if you go to the deeper issue, the deeper issue is there is enmity. That means enemy against each other between the serpent and Eve's offspring who would be the Israelite nation, and the Jewish people. There's a darkness, there's a deception, and it's from the devil at the end of the day. So it's hard to make sense of all the different things, but there is, all the way back to here, it's a, it's a product of the sin that we introduced as human beings, and it's part of the curse. There's conflict. There is a special hatred for the Jewish people. There always has been. And there will be until God makes all things right at the end. The second part of the meaning is there's a seed singular. This speaks of Jesus. So where it says in verse, I will put, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and between you and your offspring and hers. And then it says, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is speaking of one singular seed of the woman that would come. This is so deep. You could 
you could trip out really hard if you want to geek out on the Bible. Seed, singular. Her seed, when spoken of, it's always spoken of the man's seed in offspring. This is hers, the virgin birth. Jesus that would come forth. And what was he going to do? He was, there was going to be a simultaneous strike that would happen. One would be heel, one would be head. Simultaneous. When a snake strikes a heel, could be a fatal blow. Jesus died upon the cross, but he wasn't dead unto death. He rose again, but upon the cross, Jesus crushed the plans of the devil. But here's the part. More than any nation, Satan has disliked, hated the Jewish nation most. Amongst all people who have ever lived, he hated Jesus most. God says, I will bring forth one. When he brought forth one, fast forward to when Jesus came, what was the devil's plan? Well, to get him, to tempt him the same way he tempted Adam and Eve in the desert, didn't work. So he tempted him again and again, and he conspired. He got into his, Jesus' 12, to get Judas to betray him with a kiss in the garden, and he got him to be hung by his own people on a cross. He's like, yes, we did it. I knew God's plan wasn't going to work. Look, he's dead. All the while, as part of God's plan that it was upon the cross that Jesus would strike the final blow to the devil's plans. It's like not even death. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. We sing about it now. So there was a conflict. And the third, that there was a crush. Because the devil's tactics worked that day. And they've worked, if we're honest, on every person ever since that day. They work on me. They have worked on me. And I don't need to know the ins and outs in your life, but I know that temptation works on you too. I know getting you to trade God's ways for your way, it's part of our nature as fallen people since Adam and Eve did what they did. But there's just one person that it didn't work on. It didn't work on Jesus. He's the one who gains us the access we lost from the garden back into the garden with God. Back into with the Father. Back into right relationship. Back into what we would call holiness. Holiness means separated from sin. So to be holy means to be, to, to, to be separated from your sin. And it's when we, when we come to Jesus that he says, as far as the east is from the west... He casts our sins away from us, and we gain entrance into God's presence. That's what it means when it says, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Simultaneous event. That makes sense, then, when we read Colossians. When we go into the New Testament, and we read these epistles, these letters, and we read this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, says this. When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive. So when you were dead, it's when you were dead that God made you alive. He forgave us all our sins. He, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. Not just taken it away, where did he put it? He nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's when he, that's when he made the blow. That's when the power exchange happened. Not only did he do it, but this is how, what it says at the end. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them 
by the cross. It was the most humiliating way a person could die. It says, cursed is the person who hangs from the tree. But it was when man pronounced a curse that God pronounced the greatest blessing. That's how he flipped the script. That's how good God is. And not only that, it's when he sort of, the act of it, talked the most smack against all that the darkness and the devil could ever bring to mankind Jesus, in his humility, said he made a spectacle. He's like, you've always lost. Since I said that you will crawl, you will be below everyone, and on the dust you shall crawl, you will be the most shameful. This is when he was made to look most foolish. He was defeated from the beginning. We just forget it. We don't believe it. And we don't live like he's defeated. We live like... He's the God of this world. But we have a God who is greater. That's what he spoke to the serpent, to the woman. Oh, this is where we get into. Anyways, let's just read it. (laughs) To the woman, verse 16, to the woman he said, The only one without a curse spoken, by the way. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. All right, so the woman spoken, God to the woman, and there's, then there'll be to to the man couple of things. We all bear responsibility for brokenness. We all have a part to play. The woman's is a twofold consequence God talks about here. He said they both speak of relationships, um, which could tell us some about how, in general, uh, women are built relationally to have connection she speaks of children and, and marital relations. They will, because of her part, there's a twofold conflict that's going to, uh, consequence that will be relational. Something that she did in her being enticed by the devil caused a relational fallout. Both good relationships that she had, being a mother, and being a wife are both beautiful. They were perfect. They were without um, scar or any sin in the garden. So they still exist. But now there is something in them um, that is marred. Things that were blessed because of the presence of God now are out of harmony. So the first one is pain and childbirth. See, the blessing that childbirth was always supposed to be would now bring with it not just life, but according to God, a reminder of the pain of sin and the woman's part in it. But here's the thing that trips me out about God's goodness. Not only would there be pain in it, so apparently, we don't know, because Cain and Abel came after this, but I don't know what pain. So, guy, two things. Guys, the next time you stub your toe and you try to equate it with being pregnant, just know apparently there's no other pain like this. It was the cause of the fallout of sin. 
And you're like, yeah, I got some kidney stones. Apparently, that's like giving birth, they say. <laughs> no one's ever done that? I've heard it. Um, it's not. <laughs> but while it is painful, it's also a promise. It's a reminder of the brokenness of this world. There's a lot of things that we do that remind us of the brokenness of this world, but there is nothing more than childbirth that reminds us of God's redemptive plan, of God's goodness. Watching kids be born trips me. It trips me out. You see this child, and you're like, that's crazy. <laughs> funny looking at the beginning, if we're honest. They get cute, but it's like you were created, and now you're this whole person that will grow up, and we'll see the effects of the man, the, the reality, if I could skip ahead for a quick second, we're all going to die. We were all born, and we're all going to die. The birth was part of God's plan. The death was part of our plan when we sought our own way forward. But even in the woman's part in it, she would still bring forth life. All life on earth will bring, be brought forth from a mother. And it's beautiful. And it's to be celebrated. It's also a reminder of the promise of deliverance. Because look, fast forward to the New Testament, even to the end. What does it say about the last days in which we live? They'll be like Anyone? Childbirth. It's going to be like birth pains. And what's going to happen is at some point, it's going to be painful. There's going to be things happening with quickness and severity and sort of craziness, but it's going to give birth and bring forth new life, something that God is going to take out of the destruction and bring forth something beautiful. It's crazy that he talks about it all the way back through this, and, now it's, and then it's what God uses through the rest of Scripture. So that's pain and childbirth. The second one, and probably the more controversial one, especially in our day and age, would be your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. But it's important to talk about this, because I think a lot of stuff gets talked about in unhelpful and sometimes even untrue ways. Because what does this mean? Because before sin, in the garden, when God created everything for human beings to flourish, and it was very good, there was authority, there was obedience unto God, there were roles for the man and his wife, for women and men. They weren't the same. They were actually opposite. He was from Venus, and she was from Mars. There's a book about it. But they were opposite, and God took what was opposite, not just physically, but in many other ways. And he says, when the, these two, it is not good for him to be alone. And so when these two came together, they together formed a one flesh union, and all of God's personality, um, traits are brought forth in, in men and women. 
But to think that they were just the same before the fall is false. They were different. They were helpers for each other, help each other be what God wanted to be. That was before sin. So now with sin, there's something that's skewed. So when it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I've heard a lot of, there's a lot of things you could say about this. Because rule can mean different things. It can mean to benefit a man who rules his house well. That dude is not mean to his family. If you have a good tone in your home and you lead your household well, you're a good example. You're a good listener. You show honor before you demand it. Because what does God say about love? Love gives the benefit of the doubt before it takes offense, 1 Corinthians 13. It's how God loves us. God rules us well. So if we are like Jesus, men in our households, we rule well, not with an iron fist, but with a soft heart. But it can mean tyrannical rule. Um, O'Doyle rules type of stuff. Uh, it can be like, you know, my dad is better than your dad. My dad, yeah, well, my dad could beat your dad up. At the end of the day, you always had that one to fall back on. Unless your dad was not very strong, then you're like, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Or at least my dad's faster than your dad. Or, you know, it, we can, we, this could mean either one. And here's the deal. Since brokenness, both have been true. We're encouraged by the Holy Spirit through God's word and submission to the Lord to lead by serving, Ephesians 5. But we've also seen since this time have women been treated by and large well throughout history? No. I mean, we look at our, in our day and age, just however many years ago, when women could vote, when women could, like, it's, it's crazy. But once upon a time, it was, she was much more, wasn't much more than something to be owned. So the effects of sin caused this Great damage. There's been unhealthy, tyrannical ruling over women since this time. That's not good. There's also, and then it says, and your desire will be for your husband. Well, you could play that out in many, in different ways. It could be that we see in the New Testament some ladies, that, the, that ladies are encouraged to encouraged to encourage their husbands because there can be a sense here's the way I put it in my mind sometimes in our homes I'm just going to speak as a husband and as a father and someone who is married to my best friend she is good at stuff that I'm not good at but there is some stuff that God has asked me to do He's asked me to lead this way. He's asked me to serve this way. And, and I was raised by a single mom. My mom had to do both parts. She would have loved to have had a partner with her to help her. They could pick up in areas where she couldn't. But there's a, in 1 Peter it says something about like how 
the, the desire over your husband, you, she began to nag her husband. Wish you would do this. You should be more like this. And it became this self-seeking thing because it's, she could do it. She could, she wanted him to be a certain way. Her desire was for her husband to be a certain way. But the problem is, is without him wanting to be another way, it drives a wedge between them, which is exactly what the devil wants to do in our homes. So her desire would be for her husband. Maybe it would be to do what it is that he does, to be what he is. Or maybe it would be, I think both are true in some ways, that there's a tendency to raise yourself up above to be like, I got to do what he does. Maybe there's a tendency. I don't know. I'm not a woman, and I don't know the effects. I know full well the effects of, of my part in it. But I think the other part of your desire will be for your husband, it could be this. There could be a desire that a woman has in, in having the love of man that God would want you to experience by him. That it could be also a misappropriation of your worth, a mi- misappropriation of who sees value in you, of, of who, does that make sense? Your desire will be for him, maybe more than it should be knowing what God's desire for you is. See, the whole point is when sin came in, something skewed us from knowing and entrusting all of us, all of ourselves into God. Okay. This beautiful, mutually submissive non-seeking of self-relationship that was shared in the garden was now broken. There was a relational power struggle. But we know this. What works when God is present doesn't work so good apart from God. That's like the main point. When God's presence, there was harmony. It was beauty. But when God's presence is absence, there's brokenness there's confusion now let's look at the man verse 17 to Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you so there's the first thing through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life Second thing, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return, from the gr- return to the ground. For from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So here's the relational fallout. There was a relational fallout with his wife, We just looked at that. There will be something between them. Who listens to who? A relational fallout with the earth. Now remember, God God created Adam, put him in, and he was like, boom. Do your thing, boy. Because when Adam did his thing, it was God's thing. He was his representative. And now 
the, to rule and have authority over it would not be like how God originally designed it. Now, it was, the green thumb was gone. I mean, they're still like super baller farmers and stuff, but you've got to pull the weeds now. You have to cultivate the field. You have rocks. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I think about, I was watching, I was watching a bear eat an elk on YouTube last night. <laughs> I was watching the news and stuff, and there's something about Yellowstone, and it was like five colors of grizzly bears. I'm all, that looks cool. They could be several different colors. They could be black. They could be dark brown. They could be light brown. Heck, they could be blonde. We serve a diverse God, don't we? <laughs> but here's the deal. Bears, regardless, they still are looking for prey. There's something that's, that's out of rhythm with no death to life revolved around death. I watched this thing devour, and I was like, man, that is heavy. But there was something that, that, that the earth wouldn't just work with Adam. In, some way, in many ways, is going to work against him. I, I, it, that video last night was especially interesting because yesterday I was up in the mountains. Uh, we're working on a trail. And I found myself alone on the side of this mountain without any defense. And I was a quick, there was a moment where I was like looking and I was like, man, something could see me way before I could see it. So do you ever have those moments where you're just like, I sort of feel unsafe right now. <laughs> but I was like, I have a chainsaw in the truck. Here's what I will do. <laughs> but it's just this sense you can feel it like uh, it's not like the Jungle Book where all the animals are dancing. There's a, there's a brokenness. The good relationship he had with the earth is no longer. Now, where there was once only life, did you see what happens? Now there will be death. From the dust you came, God created Adam. Out of the dust of the earth, you shall return. I want to move to the conclusion, but I just want to say this. Because there's a lot of us, as we get older this reality starts to strike more than when we're younger. Just the past couple weeks, just me personally getting to the honor of pastoring this church, I've had a lot of conversations where people are dealing with the effects from this. Like we can't escape it, but what the Bible does is make sense of it. Like li this life is the life in the way that we live it now is temporary. We were all born, but the reality is we're all gonna die. Like I've been tr I've been just sort of tripping out on that recently. Different ages for different reasons, from different things. But it's hard. Our parents, who were the once the most strong people. Whether our relationship was good or bad, that's part of the brokenness as well. The people that we loved and they gave us life and, and nurtured and did the best they could, they get older and their bodies break down. It's a result of sin. It's a result of decay. It's because of what is entered that this is part of the thing. I was texting a friend this week who just lost his wife, you know? I mean, like, that's crazy. 
That's so painful. And he just said, you know, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And I'm like, how do you respond to that? Because I don't know. How, I can't fix it. I want to, but I can't. So I just was like, you know, I'm pretty sure we weren't created to deal with this. It's not like God said, oh, and I'll put this mechanism in you that knows how to deal with this. That was not part of the plan. That's part of the fall. So when our loved ones die and it tears a part of us away, that's part of the effects of the world not working the way it once did. That's part of the effects of decay because with death comes decay. Things break down. Comes um, jealousy. Breaks down relationships. Frustration. You will be frustrated. You will, this is what he says. This world is not going to be what it could have been. It's part of it. The ground has a curse on it now. New Testament says that the earth is actually groaning for this new birth that God is going to bring. You can see it when you look around. People want to just call it a certain thing, but the whole creation is groaning. The climate changes. The this happens. The that happens. Decay happens. All of these things are happening, but it's like the earth is going, oh, how much longer do we have to live in this state? with death and decay. So what's the conclusion? Verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. That's what Eve means. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord said, so he spoke these consequences over them. Then it says he made clothing for them to cover their nakedness. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be able to reach out and take also from the tree of life and live forever. This is where God is saying, this will be a temporary thing. The life this way is not forever. So what does God do? It says, So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword ba flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God says this is not the consequence. There's a, there's a curse. It's a temporary thing. I don't want you to live in this thing temporarily. So he does two things. He pushes them out of the garden to continue to do what he created them to do, but in a new way. And um, he clothed them. So this tells us, and we'll end here. There's a new state in which mankind now lived. Not one that was designed, but through sin, one that, wa one that was desired. There's a way in which we live that was not designed, but desired. Now there will be bad among the good for people. No matter how hard people try to do away with, one commentator said this, and it's heavy, but I just, I'm like, I'll put it in there. No matter how hard people try to do away with male dominion, agonizing labor, painful childbearing, and death, these evils continue to be present because sin is present. They are fruits of sin.
But God didn't want them to live this way forever, so he covered them, cast them out. The only one who there's no chance for repair or restoration in this story was the serpent. I don't know if you noticed that. He wasn't covered. He was cursed. Even though the goal was to be like God, and that was accomplished, this goal proved to be undesirable because in the new like God, they realize that they are no longer with God. So we see the goal of flourishing, the goal of this life that God has for us is not to be like God, but to be with God. That's what we as Christians believe. That's where we, that's where we um, lay down our understanding for, for what God says because the trick was to be like God. You be your own God. And God's like, no, what you want is to be with me. And that makes sense when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. Whoever comes through me, you cannot come to the Father except through me. He is saying, I am, I am the with. Come with me. Follow me. That's what Jesus is saying when he invites us into this way of life. Not to be like God. It's like, no, he's taking us from that trick. That's a trick. He's saying, no, the way of, to flourishing is found with me. So that's the invitation. So what do we take away from this? This is what I want us to know. There's a tempter that's always getting, wanting to get us to pick our way, to trade God's way for our way. And his goal isn't for you to be like, yeah, you're so independent. His goal for you is death, is destruction, it's disharmony. There are consequences for our actions. Has anybody in their life faced consequences for their actions? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Counted for me. Where you sit there and you're just like, is there any way out of this for me? That's where we're like, God, if you get me out of this. I'm like, man, I started praying. Who are you praying to? I don't know. But I was asking them to get me out of this. I'll get, change my life. Give them, give them my life. I'll serve you forever if you get me out of this. God's like, don't serve me forever. Just will you, will you come with me? Or there's consequences for our actions. There are things that we have to face. It's been like that since the first disobedient act happened that's part of our story part of our disobedience but even in the act of all this we see God's heart towards sin so as we pray and as we end I want to read this verse and then give an invitation just to respond in your own in your own time and or just in your own way to the Lord so here's our broken world Here's war that's happening and just like the most atrocious things being done to people. I was watching my kid play football yesterday and I'm just like, dude, it, it's so, there's so much joy watching your kids play, you know what I mean? When you just watch your kids do what they love. And then I was just thinking about like there are kids right now that are like being told, no, don't grab your toys, don't grab your this, we gotta go. 
Our house is going to get blown. Like there are just things that are happening in our world that are so crazy. But this is what God wants us to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, shall not live in this death way, but there will be new life brought forth. But my favorite part is when you read it in context and understand the whole big picture. Because God covered them with skins in the garden. He would appoint priests who would sacrifice for a whole system of a sacrificial system that would atone for sin and they would be reminded of their sin here. They would be reminded of God's deliverance. So they would, they would do acts of sacrifice unto animals. So they would be like, oh, God has forgiven us, just like with Adam and Eve. But the whole point is there would be one coming, the seed of woman. There wouldn't be a skin to cover sin, but he would take away sin. So then you get all the way to John 3:16. For God so loved the world even in this broken, chaotic state, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would put him on would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to be like, look at what you did, but that through him we may be saved. That's what we talk about being in Jesus. That's the invitation. So as we pray and close out today, we just have to remember, like, the brokenness isn't by chance. It was by design. It was by temptation. It was by deception. And it's what we stepped into as the human race. But Jesus is the way forward. He's the way out. He's the way to new things. And that's what following him is. He invites to trade what you've been doing for who he is and what he wants. He says, place your life in my hands. Place your trust in my hands. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're not, the invitation is the same. A step of faith today. Tomorrow's Monday. Maybe some of you have to walk into some consequences of some actions tomorrow. The consequences will be there, but you know, so will, be, so will Jesus. That's like the whole point. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word I was really pumped, Lord, before service to see people up here. And I know these stories in these lives, and there's so much that's happened when we're thinking about our life groups coming up. And I just am like, these are people that want to take the things that you're teaching us as a church and then talk out about how it's going on in their own life and in our world and get prayer and, and just look to you, lean into you and each other. And it's such a beautiful thing. I'm grateful that my family gets to be part of a church like that. So Lord, as we finish up this message today, we just submit to you, kind of we just open up our lives because the truth is we're bare before you. And in the, the devil wants us to experience so much shame, but you say you want to not just cover, but cast the shame away. So the invitation is for anyone here who's tired of doing it your way, who's tired of trying to cover up your shame on your own, and you just believe that maybe God is real, 
God has something better for you. Jesus is the way forward for you. And today you want to make just like that profession of faith. That's me today. I just want to invite you to just raise your hand towards heaven. I could pray for you. Thank you, Lord. You can put them down. Lord, I see hands go up and I remember. It makes me remember when I did that for the first time. And there was just this sense of peace, like I don't have to figure it out, like God loves me and he's gonna, he's gonna lead me. So I'm gonna ask everybody in this room to pray this prayer out loud after me. For those of you that raise your hands, this is just a prayer of asking God to lead us. And for those of you that have raised your hands before, this is a way for us to tell everybody who just did that we're with you. It's like us too. So would you pray after me, dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. I receive your love. I give you all the bad parts of me. I ask for you to cover me. Cover me with your grace. Please come into my life. Please lead me from this day forward. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together this last song. Yes, some consequences from our actions have to be faced, but God never says, oh, you're on your own for that one. He's like, I got you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Hey, if you made that prayer uh, this morning for the very first time, I just want to ask you to go one step further and dance right where you're at. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Would you come up with our prayer team up here? We have some of the people that, they're kind of like people that, man, they love God and they, they, they love you, even if you don't know them yet. And just share your name and your story with them a little bit so we could be praying for you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Just love to meet you and just, so if you would do that, that would be awesome. Um, as we are dismissed, we have um, one of our fall classes that's gonna start up in about a half an hour on this side of the room. So let's chill out like this way. Sound good? Love you guys. Have a good day. We'll see you next week.